almost time for the new year. And typically, kind of, we would do this talk at the beginning of the new year. But really, it's too late to do that talk at the beginning of the new year because if you're going to try to start off the new year with, if you want to call them resolutions or goals or trying to set a new trajectory for your new year, we need some time to plan for that, right? So we need some personal time to work towards that. So if we're going to start off 2018, then we kind of need a month to prepare for that. So that's what we're trying to do this morning, trying to help set you up to be able to think about 2018 in your life. This is your life as you walk as a human being. If you're a believer, it's your walk with Christ. That's most, uh, the thing we're most focused on in this, in this discussion this morning. If you're not a believer, then it would be working towards that. That would be our goal. And uh, if you're not there yet, then that's fine, and we'll just trust that God will uh, lead you there. But before we get started, I just want to pray for us, and, uh, and we'll get, get going on things. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this week that we just celebrated. I thank you for all of the blessings that we have. I thank you for just the way that there's an abundance of, of blessing uh, in this great land that we get to live in. Thank you for the way you provided for uh, tons of turkey and the way that you just brought in exactly what needed to be handed out and that there are 158 plus families who, who were able to celebrate and have a great Thanksgiving meal because of uh, the work that so many in here and, and others outside of here did. I thank you for that. I thank you for this great group of people that you've assembled here, that, that you call your body the body of Christ that is gathered at 6-8 Church. I thank you for everyone who is here this morning and just how, how awesome it is to have them with us and, and how awesome it is to have this family come together at 6-8 Church. And I thank you personally for this family. It's a blessing to be a part of this church family here at this church, and I thank you for that. I pray as we go through this morning that uh, you would speak to us, that it would be your words speaking and not my words that are, that are being spoken, but that your spirit would speak to each and every one of our hearts and that you would say to us what you want us to hear and uh, say those things that need to challenge us, those things that, that uh, need to be worked on in our own lives, whether it's something I say or something that you bring to mind. And I pray all of that for, for your glory, that we, would, that we would make these adjustments, that we would live our life in this way so that you would be glorified in our lives day to day. Not just when we show up here on Sunday mornings, not just we, when we do some things that we call religious, but that in every aspect, every area of our lives, you would be glorified. Open the eyes of our heart to hear those things that we need to hear so that we may make our lives uh, reflect you as you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so priorities, priorities. You know, a lot of us probably have some goals, and actually, as you're going to see, a lot of these goals that you think about when you're starting off a new year actually are biblical, biblical goals, so we're going to cover some of those. But, but how many of us actually start there? How many of us go to God first when it comes to setting our priorities? I think probably a lot of us, you know, maybe God is a real high priority. He might be high on the priority list, but is God at the top of our list? Is God at the very top, or are there seats in our life where, where we're still kind of the top priority and God is not yet at the, at the top priority in that seat? So uh, we're going to look at four, four specific seats this morning um, that that uh, I think we need to address when we're looking at putting God first in our lives, living with godly purpose. And the first one is going to be, you've probably heard all of these before, our time. And they all start with T, just for fun. Most of these came from a long time ago. They've been around the, the alliteration. Pastors have been alliterating, alliterating things for hundreds and hundreds of years, and we just get to steal on their wisdom this morning. But we're talking about these four seats, and if you ask yourself the question, who's in this seat? Who is in the time seat in your life? You know, and we might have to do some rearranging, kind of like we did in this game. We might have to actually pull a few things out and draw a few names out of the hat until we get the right person sitting on the seat of our time in our life. But who is sitting on the, on the time seat in your life? Who is sitting on the time seat? The second seat is, any guesses? Temple. 
by temple, we do not mean this building. This building is not a temple. This building is just wood. This building is a resource that God uses. By temple, we mean you, and we will explain that in just a minute, give you a biblical basis for that. The third seat is talent. And the last one, probably the dreaded one, your treasure. Who is sitting in that seat in your life? Who's sitting in the time seat, the temple seat, the talent seat, and the treasure? The clue, if you're sitting in it, you need to get up. But when it comes to these things, I think first there is a general principle that that overrides all of them, and it's called the first fruits principle. Uh, The first fruits. Now, the first fruits actually goes back to the Old Testament, and there was what they would call the first fruits offering. And you can read uh, the, the command, a summary of the command in Proverbs 3 9 and 10. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Well, so we have to ask ourselves, what is a first fruits offering? What was, what was the first fruits offering that they were talking about here in Proverbs that was also mentioned in Deuteronomy and other places uh, in the Old Testament and Leviticus that, that this first fruits offering? First fruits, well, first it became a feast, a Jewish feast that was held at the beginning of harvest. And so as harvest season, you know, this was an agrarian culture, an agrarian society, so most of the people were farmers. That was the way most of the people made their living, and so, so the currency for a lot of it was their crop. And so at the beginning of harvest, after they had been working on growing their harvest for the season, and it came time to actually harvest the crops, they had a feast that was called the first fruits. And the rule was that no grain or crops were to be harvested until the first fruits were given at the temple. So like a bushel of first fruits, the first bushel that you would go out and pick from your crop, however, whatever the crop is would determine how much it is that you bring in. Whatever the first harvest is you bring, and you bring that in into the celebration, there were also a few other sacrifices, a drink offering, a, a blood offering, and one more offering, I can't remember exactly what it was, that were also required at this time. But it was instituted for a reason. It had a purpose. It was a remembrance of God's provision for his people, his chosen people, the Israelites. God had provided for them throughout the history of Israel, and it was to stop and remember how God had provided. And it went all the way back to while they were, while they were slaves in Egypt and the 400 years they spent there in slavery, and it reminded them of being set free from slavery, how God brought them out of slavery, and then it reminded them that God provided for them a land that was described as flowing with milk, and honey, and that was the promised land that became you know, the, the, the goal, the end prize that the people of Egypt, that when they left Egypt, the God's chosen people were longing to get into this land flowing with milk and honey. So this first fruits was, was to remind them of that. But then we fast forward to Jesus. Jesus comes, and you know, as we talked about with the Passover lamb, Jesus actually became the final Passover lamb. So when he died on the cross, on Passover, as a celebration of Passover, he was the one that all of the, the celebrations for hundreds of years leading up to was pointing to. He becomes the Passover lamb. But also, very interestingly, if Jesus died during Passover, then the first day of the week, the third day, which is when Jesus rose from the dead, would have been the beginning of the, the Feast of first fruits. So there's, there's the symbolism that Jesus actually fulfills the first fruits offering in the same way he fulfilled the Passover. And everyone's probably, oh, I'm off the hook. Jesus did it for me. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Here's the thing. Just like everything else, in, in the New Testament, just like everything that Jesus said when he was talking about you know, the commands, you, he would say, you may have heard it said X, Y, Z, but I say. For instance, he would say, you have heard it said you know, you're not supposed to murder, but Jesus would say, don't hate. So, 
okay, I haven't murdered anyone, but I have probably hated someone, so I am guilty of breaking that. You know, so so we Jesus steps up everything, and we find in James chapter one, verse sixteen through eighteen, the call that is put on us is the same. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that is Jesus. Jesus is the word of truth. This birth that we have, this new life that we have in Jesus Christ was, is this new birth that we have received through the word of truth. Why did we receive this birth and the word of truth? That we might be a first fruits of all he created. And in fact, as the audience that James was talking to were the first fruits, the first of many, many more believers to come. In fact, now there are more believers on the planet than, than there ever have been. And so James and the, and the early New Testament church, they were the first fruits of many more believers to come. Why were they the first fruits? Because they lived their lives sacrificially for spreading up and living out the word of truth, commands, and call on their life. They were the first fruits because they lived out what had been given to them to live out. Second thing I want to point out from that passage really quick, he says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Everything good is a gift from God. Everything good in your life and in my life is a gift from God. God has given us a gift of these good things. God has given us these good things in our life. So, so your time, it is a good thing, and God has given it to you. Your temple, your body, that is a good thing. God has given it to you as a gift. The talent we're going to see, God has given you as a gift, and it is a good thing. And the treasure that is in your life, that is a good thing that God has given to you. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. These are good things. If these are, in fact, good things that God has given to us, and the Bible says that we're supposed to be stewards of them, and a steward is just someone who takes care of something. It's a gift that has been given to us. God has given us the gift of time to be a good steward of for his higher purposes in our life. And so we now, as stewards of the gift of time, the life that God has given to us, which we read that God has actually given us the very breath that we breathe. We see that from Adam and Eve. The breath that is in us is his breath of life. The life we are living is God's breath in us. That's why we sing that song that, that, that the breath that God has given us is the life that we live. God is literally the air that we breathe. So if these good things that God has given to us and trusted to us as, as stewards to take care of for his purposes, what are we doing with them? There was an old song that said, give of your best to the master. It was one of, one of the old hymns that we used to sing growing up back in the day. Give of your best to the master. You know, it's, it's Thanksgiving, and one of the most popular things at Thanksgiving is the leftovers, right? Everyone loves the leftovers that come at Thanksgiving. In fact, on this day, for a couple of years, we tried to do what I liked to call the leftover lunch, and I thought it was a great idea because everyone has all these leftovers after Thanksgiving, so you could just bring all your leftovers, put them in a casserole, bring them into to the church, and we'd all kind of share and have this potluck leftover lunch, and it never worked, because everyone loves their leftovers. You know, so it's, those are my leftovers. Don't you touch my leftovers. I need that. So we actually don't, we don't do a lunch anymore. We just try to get done as quickly as we can so you can get out and get your own lunch. Go back and sit down comfortably on your couch and eat your leftovers, selfishly hoarding them all to yourself. And so... But it's kind of a, kind of a picture of what we're talking about. The, the leftovers, we, even, you know, we want it all, right? God has given it to us to be stewards, but we want to control it all for our own benefit. Are we giving of our best to our Savior, to our Master, to our Lord and our King, or are we giving God what's left of the leftovers? The Bible tells us that we should, we should decide in our heart in advance what to give, and that we shouldn't do so under compulsion. I'm not going to try to compel you to give. 
I'm not going to try to compel you to live your life in a certain way when it comes to your time, temple, talent, and treasure. We're going to trust that God is going to do that. And what God compels us to do is what we should do. But why? Why is this, why is this a big deal? Why should we decide in advance? Why should we not give under compulsion? And it goes back to the series we talked about when it's with loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It's, it's so that your heart, our hearts need to be in the right place when it comes to our lives that God has given us to live for his glory. Is our heart in the right place? Are we giving God what's best or are we giving God what's left? Are we giving God what's best or are we giving him what's left? So let's look at these four areas and break them down really quickly, and then we'll be done. Time. I have two scriptures I want to point out to you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, and John chapter 9, verse 4. Ephesians 5, 15 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So the way we live our lives, we're supposed to live them very carefully, and we're supposed to live them wisely, or as Joey would say on Friends, wisdomous. We're supposed to be wisdomous in the way that we live our lives, not unwise or unwisdomous. Why? Because we're supposed to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. John chapter 9, verse 4, this is Jesus talking, and he says, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. There's supposed to be an urgency, an immediacy, a passion, and a zeal for how we live our lives for God's purposes. God has given us this time on the earth, and we are only here but for a, a, a vapor, is what the Bible describes. It's just here in the morning and gone by noon. We only have this short amount of time that we're here on earth, and God has numbered our days. God has designed everything. And how are we living these lives that God has entrusted us to live? Are we living them for his glory and for his benefits, or are we using them for our pleasure and our gain? Be very careful in how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Are we, could we say, after looking back at 2017, that we made the most of every opportunity? Probably none of us would be able to say that, myself included. But what would it look like if we set that as the standard for 2018, that, that the goal for my life when it comes to my time in 2018 is going to be, I'm going to make the most of every opportunity because the days are short. Night is coming when no one can work. There is a time coming when, when darkness will, will cover the earth and there will be no more opportunity to share the light. We have been given this opportunity while we're here to share the light and the life of Jesus Christ with those who are walking and wandering and lost in the darkness. Are we making the most of every opportunity? Because night is coming. Are we giving God the best of our time, not just what's left? Second is temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You were bought with a price, you are not your own. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, God dwelled in the temple. Before that, he was in, was it called the tabernacle? Was that right? In the, uh, before they made the permanent temple, yeah. Um, so before that, you know, and so they would, they would kind of follow the, the, the tabernacle around, and that was where God's presence dwelled, and, and you could see that. And then, and then they built the temple, and then God's presence was in the temple, and you had to come to the temple where God's presence was to worship 
where God was. But then after Jesus left, this is why Jesus' ascension is also so very important. We talk about the crucifixion, the resurrection, extremely important. But the ascension is also very important because if Jesus did not ascend, then he would not have sent the presence of the Holy Spirit to live in all who believe. And so now we who believe, instead of this building being a temple where God resides, we with our bodies are the temple where God resides. So that means you are a temple. You are a holy place. You are the holy place where God dwells. God's spirit lives in you. God is with you. How does that make you feel when you think about that? God dwells in you. But if we ask ourselves the question, are we giving God the best of our temple, not just what's left after we've done what we want with it, how would we answer that question? Are we treating our bodies as a holy place for God to dwell? Here Paul was talking about sexual immorality, but there's a lot of other things we do to our temples to make them kind of unfit, not a really desirable place, right? Myself included, I've got some work to do, and this is one of the goals that I'm setting for, for 2018, is, is that I would, I would make my body a, a desirable place for the Holy Spirit to dwell, that it's a, it's a good temple. My body is a good temple. Are we giving God the best of our temple, or are we just giving him what's left after we've done what we wanted with it? I've heard it said that um, in, our, in our early days, we spend our health to earn wealth, So we spend all of the health that we have as we're younger to try to earn a certain amount of wealth, and then as we get older, we have to start spending our wealth to get our health. Are we we pouring ourselves out to try to accumulate things in our life? Are we we abusing our bodies? Are we overworking our bodies and, and doing things we shouldn't do with our bodies so that we can accumulate things in our lives that really aren't all that important Or are we using our bodies as a temple for the Holy Spirit? Which category would you be in? The third one is talent. Talent. God, I firmly believe that God has created you exactly how he wants you to be. He made you on purpose for a purpose. He has a reason for your existence. He has given you strengths and talents that he wants you to use for building his kingdom. And I believe everyone in here has something to offer, something to bring to the table of building the kingdom of God through this one small body here at 6-8 Church that he wants to, to use to shine brightly the light of Jesus Christ into the darkness. Every single one of us has strengths and talents and abilities. God gave you the personality that you have so that you could use your personality for his glory. Who you are is who God wants you to be, and he gave you, he blessed you with these gifts, with these talents for building up his kingdom. The problem comes when we think that these are our talents and that we can use all of these talents to accumulate things in the other categories for ourselves. And we start using our time and our body and our talent to accumulate great treasures for ourselves. Are we really supposed to be using all of these things in that way? See, there are things that, that, that we are not yet doing as a church that we don't even know that we should be doing as a church, that God has brought you here to do through our church. And we firmly believe that God brings and assembles people here to do things that he wants to do through this body that we cannot currently do on our own, that if we tried to do them, we would not be able to do them because we don't have the talent to be able to do them. Are you using your talent for the kingdom? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, for we are God's handiwork, God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God created you, God created me to do good works that build up his kingdom. And that's the point of the talent that he's given you. Whatever talents you have, God gave you. He gifted them to you and he gave them to you to steward, to use for his benefit of building his kingdom on earth. So we have to give God what's best with our talent, not just what's left over when we've used it for our own benefit. Time, temple, talent, and the last one is treasure. 
And because I'm still a little bit insecure when it, talks, when it comes to talking about money, I have a little more scripture I want to share with you on this one. This is one where everyone clams up. It's one where everyone gets the most nervous. And there's a reason for that. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But I want to share with you a story of a, of a people who were living as though their treasure was not their own, but they were sacrificial in doing so. And then share with you the call that Paul draw, draws from that for us as followers. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So he's not talking to the, about the Corinthian church right now. He's talking about the Macedonian church. And he says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So in the midst of a trial, in the midst of something difficult and hard, their extreme poverty welled up within them in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, listen to that, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. I know I've shared from this scripture before, but it just blows my mind that entirely on their own, they pled with Paul to be able to share in the work. They pled with Paul to be able to give them this gift. And, Paul says, they exceeded our expectations. They gave them, here's the key, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. That's the key in it all. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. And now Paul's going to turn and start talking to the Corinthian church, and he says, So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part, talking about their generosity. Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love, and the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. It's very important that you hear this next, this next phrase. It says, I am not commanding you. I'm not commanding you to be generous. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. If someone were to test the sincerity of our love by comparing it with the earnestness of others, how would we all measure up? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. And here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Starting right there, I, I want us all to pay really special and close attention to these last four verses that Paul is going to share. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed. In other words, our desire is not to let other people off the hook while you're working hard, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Paul right there is quoting from the book of Exodus, I think chapter 16, verse 18 or so, and he's quoting from when God provided the manna and the quail, and, and, they, and the command was to go out and gather what you need, and then there was a way to measure it, and, and you were supposed to take just what you needed, one of these units, one bucket worth for, for, you, for each person in your tent, and you didn't take more than you needed, you just took what you needed for that day, and that was what was, give, what was said, that the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. 
In other words, God provided it all. He provided exactly what the Israelites needed, so just take what you need. You don't need to hoard and take too much. You have exactly what you need because God has provided it. But I want to come back and focus in on those last few verses. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. According to what we have, not what we wish we had. According to what you have, not what you wish you had. I know, I hear this a lot, and myself, I am in this camp. I wish I had more. If I had more, I would give more, right? And, that, and that's a statement that, that I have myself said. If, if I just had more, I would give more. But what the Bible teaches us is that he who is faithful with little will be faithful with a lot. Have we been faithful with whatever God has given to us so that we know we are trustworthy stewards if God gives us more? The gift is acceptable according to what we have, not what we wish we had. The point is, as he mentions, equality. The point is that not, a, not that a few people would carry the burden for everyone, which is how it is in a lot of churches, but by the way, in our church, we are, we're, we're really drastically different. In a lot of churches, they, they, they try to get, they're hoping for 20% of their people. That, that, would be, that would be a great goal for a lot of churches, and it seems like the larger the church, the harder it is to get, to get good, good percentages, you know, that you know, 17%, some of the larger churches that I've heard their pastors talk is, is how many people support the church regularly. In our church, I've been, I've been having our finance team kind of do some numbers over the last month or so. And in our church, based on households and guesses, you know, we don't know, we don't know for sure if people are tithing and we're not gonna send out a form to say, how much do you make, how much did you make last year so we can go back through the books and say, oh, they, they only gave 7%. We're gonna have to work on that. You know, we don't, we're not gonna do any of that kind of stuff. We, we have no interest in that. I don't know who gives and, and what they give. I, I don't know those things. I, I've tried to intentionally stay out of that. I don't want that, that to be in my mind when I'm talking to anyone. I don't want to be thinking about, about who gives what when I'm talking to you. I want to be able to, to minister to one another fairly and, and as though that doesn't matter. But in our church, about 75% of our households tithe, as would be our guess, which is amazing. It is, it is astounding that, that the number is that high, especially from when it's contrasted with all the churches that I've been a part of, that 75% of our church tithes. Yeah, amen, that's, that's a blessing. But Paul would ask, of the 25%, Are you giving what you have to give? Because the goal is equality. It's not that those who have a lot can carry the burden for those who don't have. The goal is that we all have this right God-first understanding of our time, temple, talent, and treasure. I said every single one of us, no matter how much we have, how much we don't have, how much we've earned, how much we have not yet been able to earn, is that, is that we're putting God first and that it is God sitting on each one of these seats in our lives. It's, it's not the amount. That's why we don't know those amounts. We don't do fanfares. We don't, we don't give out, you know, we don't put people's names on things around here for giving lots of money. I know some churches have done that. It's about your heart in giving. See, the one who gathered much didn't have too much. They didn't hoard more than they needed. They, they gathered what they needed, that's what Paul says. And the one who gathered little didn't run out. They had what they needed. They didn't have to do without. When we're all equally carrying the load and carrying the burden, that's how it's supposed to work. We have to give God the best of our treasure, not just what's left after we have gotten the things we want for ourselves. Why? Why, all of, why are all of these things so important? Well, it's really simple. It's because God is after your heart. God wants to be sitting on the throne of your heart. And there's all of this potential for all of these seats to become more important than God in our life. And we find ourselves sitting on each of these seats. And we say, you know what, I, I, I'll give God a certain amount of my time, but don't you dare ask for more. 
I've only got so much time to give, and so I'm not going to give more than I'm able to give. I'm just going to give X amount. When it comes to temple, I'm going to do what I want with my body. It's my body. I get to, I get to live however I want. And so don't tell me what I can and can't do. Don't tell me what I can and cannot put in my body or what I can and cannot do with my body. It's my body. And so I sit on the seat here. And the same thing with my talent. It's my talent. I'm the one who has to work hard at it. I'm the one who has to labor at it. I'm the one who's had to practice at it all of these years so that I could become good at it. It's my talent, and, and it's my treasure. I work every hour for every dollar that I work. It's my money. I have worked for it. Don't you tell me how to spend my treasure. It's all mine, and what happens then is we end up sitting on the seat of all of these things in our own lives, and then it becomes more important than, than God in our hearts in our lives, and we have no way to give God what's best. We can only give Him what's left, if there is any. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. When I read this, I don't want you to just think about treasure in terms of finances. I want you to think about the treasure of all of these things that God has given to you, your time, your temple, your talent, and your treasure. Jesus says, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. By the way, we have the mouse, the mice are back in our house. Woo! We live in an old farmhouse, by the way. It's not like we just live in filth, and so we have, um, that's what I imagine comes to your mind when I say that we have mice. We live in an old farmhouse, and mice just find a way to get in. <laughs> Sure. Uh-huh. That's a, that's a good one. Don't store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin and mice destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in, break in and steal. Why? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your treasure is on earth and if your treasure is all of these things in your life and your day in and day out walk with God, then, then this is where your heart is. And like we talked about last week, we're not citizens of this earth. We are citizens of heaven. God has given us citizenship of a different existence that is not here on this planet. It's in a different realm. And so we're not citizens. And yet, if we keep putting these things most importantly and above God, if our, tre if our heart is here because this is our treasure and this is where we're keeping our treasure, then, then we're constantly struggling to try to put our feet back on this planet when it comes to our citizenship, and that's not the life that we've been called to. We've been called to a life of sacrifice where we lay all of these things down that we think are our rights. This is my right. This is my right, my right, my right. This is not, no, this is no longer my right. Now I'm laying those things down and picking up the call of Christ. And what we don't understand in all of this is that God has, as we say so many times, designed the operating system that this world is supposed to function on in this way. And I've had so many conversations, especially over this past year, where, where people are getting their priorities in the right order, and, and people say it's just, it's kind of like when you put God first in everything, then everything just falls into place. And that's exactly how it's supposed to be because that's how God designed it. When we put God first, then everything else falls into place. When we're putting ourselves first, we don't have the ability to, to make everything revolve around us like God does. God is God. We are not. We need to put him in the seat of control in our lives. Who's sitting in these seats? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, and view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
We're supposed to be living sacrifices. We talk about this passage a lot when it comes to worship, that we're supposed to be living sacrifices, and this is how we worship. And in fact, we should not live our lives as though this time that we have here on a Sunday morning is our only time of worship. But our whole entire life is supposed to be a living sacrifice. That means all of this has to be in place all the time. This is how we are holy and pleasing to God. This is how we worship. True and proper worship is a life wholly surrendered across all spectrums. And it says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world says, this is mine. This is my time. This is my body. This is my talent. This is my treasure. Don't tell me what to do with it. Isn't that what you hear being just screamed from the mountaintops right now? Especially when it comes to body, right? This is my body. Don't tell me what to do with my body. I know we've heard that argument so many times in our current climate of our culture. But if we understand that that's actually not your body, God has given this to you to steward, then we understand that we need to stop being conformed to the pattern of the world that says this is mine and be transformed to a godly way of thinking that says this is God's and I need to live it for his glory. I need to live my life for him. Every single time we try to apply the world's standards to the way that we walk with God, it's going to fail. It's going to come up short. The world cannot tell us how to live our life for God's glory. The world doesn't know what that means. We have to come to God and his word to understand how to live our lives for his glory. But when God is first in our lives, we know what to do with our lives. Listen to that. After this, after you have lived your life as a sacrifice and you've, you've transformed your, your mind to think the way God wants you to think, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What is God's will for your life? Well, when God is first in our lives, we know what to do with our lives. When God is first, when God is sitting in the first seat in all of these different areas, we, we know what to do with our lives, and in fact, the what becomes less significant. The what becomes kind of, kind of inferior to everything else because it's just God first. It's, it's God first. God first. It's God first. And as we put God first in all of these things, then the what just becomes less important because it's God first. Whatever you're doing, it's God first. However you're serving, it's God first. However you're living, it's God first. However you're using your talent, it's God first. However you're treating your body, it's God first. However you're spending your money, it's God first. And when we're doing God first in all of these different aspects of our lives, then everything starts to make sense. So I have to ask us, I have to maybe challenge us a little bit. Maybe dream for me for a second. What would it look like if in 2018, everyone who calls 6-8 Church home, even everyone who's here today, whether this is your home or not, if you put God first in your time, what would it look like if you, if you gave God your best, not just what's left? Can you imagine how things might change if you gave God first priority in the minutes of your day? How about with your temple, with your body, the temple of the Holy Spirit? What would it look like if you gave God what's best, not just what's left when it comes to your body? If, if you started serving him with your body and living the way he wanted you to live? How about with your talent, the talents that God has given you that maybe no one else in this body has that he wants you to use for his glory? What would it look like for 2018 if you lived and gave your talents and, and the way that you gave your talent was for God's glory? Not just what's left, after you've given everything to your boss at work, but, but started with God first. And how about with your treasure? How would it look if you put God first in your finances? If the first fruits of, of, the, of the hard work that you do to earn those dollars and cents, if you gave that to God, if you put that in God's hands so that the kingdom could be advanced, what would that look like if you gave God your best, not just what's left. What I think it would look like would be radical. I think the world would look on all of us and say, in a good way, 
there were a bunch of, bunch of weirdos and freaks at that church. I mean, it's like, what kind of person puts God first? I mean, what, what kind of person thinks, oh, I, when it comes to time, I need to think about how my time is honoring God, so, so I'm not just going to go hang out. You know, I'm not just going to go waste time. Man, I'm going to poke at you a little bit. I'm, just, I'm not just going to blow all of my time on video games. I'm not women. I'm not, I'm not just going to sit on my phone and scroll through Facebook and see if people have liked my statuses. I know we all do that. I know I'm pushing a little bit. I know I'm getting a little bit, I'm a little bit touchy, but I'm not just going to sit and blow all of this time, but I'm going to be intentional with my time. My time is a gift from God. Am I using my time? And, and if we start having this kind of view of our time where we're using our time for God's glory, then think about how differently that looks from the world who's consumed with spending their time in their own ways. How would it look to a world who doesn't believe if, if the reason you are treating your body the way that you're treating your body is because God has said to do this to your body, to live and put this into your body and don't put this into your body and treat your body like it's a temple of the Holy Spirit and that was the reason that you gave for those who wondered why you were being so weird with how you were treating your body? How would that stand out from the crowd? This, I, I'm not just paleo because it's popular. I'm doing this because I want to glorify God and my body. How about when it came to your talent and, and you truly invested significant amounts of your talent into building the kingdom? And people started asking, why do you do that? I mean, you could be getting paid so much money for doing that, but, but you're, not, you're not taking a dime. For, why are you doing that? And you said, because, because God has given me this talent and I want to use it for his glory, for building up his kingdom. This, this is his gift that he's given to me. I need to be a good steward of it. And how different would we look if, if when it came to our treasure, our, our dollars and our cents, the things that God has given us as possessions, all of the things we can put our hands on in our life, if we started treating them as gifts from God and, and we were just generous, just, just radically generous because it wells up in our heart to be generous, not because we feel compulsively forced into being generous, but because God is sitting on the throne of my heart and I want to be generous because God has given me much. I want to give much. I want to be how radically different would it look to the world if we did those kinds of things as a body here at 6-8 Church? I think what would happen is that the, the, that the light of Jesus Christ would shine brightly like a spotlight out of all of our lives throughout all of our weeks and that God would get the glory for the life that we're leading and people would be drawn in to a bunch of weirdos and radicals who are living their lives for his glory and for his good and not for themselves. That's my dream for us for 2018. Would you stand? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for every single life that is here this morning. I thank you for the gift of every life that is here this morning. I thank you for the breath of life that you have breathed into every person here today. It's a blessing to be gathered together, and it's not just a blessing because we get to come together and have fun, but it's a blessing because where two or three are gathered in your name, you are here with them. It's a blessing to gather together because you, your presence, is with us. As all of these temples of the Holy Spirit come together, the presence of God is in this place. I thank you for every life. Thank you for everyone who's here this morning. Father, I pray that you would teach me and show me how to be as grateful for them as you are proud of them. Teach us all to, to view our lives as you view our life. Teach us to think about our lives and these gifts that you've given us in our life the way that you want us to think, that, that we would learn to put you first in our priorities. That at the very top of the list, it would be God. I'm going I'm to worship God. I'm going to love God. I'm going to read God's word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to spend time quietly with God. I'm going to let God speak to me. I'm going to let God speak through me. The first and foremost aspect of everything in my life is God first in it all. 
Father, help us to be that kind of church. Help us to be that kind of body that, that when we step outside these doors, we, we feel ourselves empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit that indwells every single believer to go out and live this kind of radical God-first life in everything. And I pray, Father, not for guilt, that we would feel guilty when we see areas of our life that don't quite measure up to this yet. But, Father, I pray that you would use those to turn on a light inside us to say, hey, there's, there's just another area to work on. That I wouldn't feel, that we wouldn't feel as a body like we've let you down because we have not used our time and our temple and our talents and our treasure the way that you want us to, but that we see as we aren't doing exactly what you've called us to do that that there's just more room for improvement. There's something I can do to be more like Christ today. Father, fill us with that kind of love, with that kind of grace. Father, help us to do these things, not to draw attention to ourselves, but that we might shine brightly a light on the love of Jesus Christ, who literally gave up everything so that we could become everything. And I pray, Father, that you would be glorified. That in our lives, you would be glorified. That you would give us opportunities to say, because God, through all of these things. That you'd give us the chance to say, it's because of God that I'm living this way. That you would give us the courage to respond in that way and the boldness to say, God has so much more for you, too, if you would just be willing to see it. Father, help us to live our lives. Help us to honor you with the way we live our lives, that every breath we take, that every day, every, every step that we take, every, every, every time we think this way or that way, every action, every decision that we would thank God first, you first. I want you first in everything. How can I honor God in this decision? How can I honor God in this situation? How can I honor God in this relationship? How can I honor God? What would God have me do in everything? And that we start living our lives God first in everything that, that we would see things fall into place. And that as we do, because we know you are faithful, and as we put you first in everything, you are faithful, you will bring everything into order because you are a God of order, not a God of chaos. You want things to fall into place. And when we put you in the right place, things do come into place. And that when we see those things, we will celebrate those things because we know that that is the visible evidence of God at work tangibly in this world today. I thank you for that. I praise you for that. And I ask, Father, may we be that kind of church. In Jesus' name, amen.